and I'm your brother, Fire Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. whatever you can do, please do. Class war, class war, class war. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. attitude towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no rules, fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, Some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm your brother Ryan Mercedes. Welcome to this Class War Battlefield Podcast segment. I probably don't need to tell you this. But it has become increasingly clear to me. Um, and I, I, I think I've talked about this years ago on Class 4 Battlefield Podcast, you know, during 2011, 2012, when I was first really getting this podcast going. When we think of wages, we think of them in terms of especially people who are below the middle class. We think of wages in terms of how um, how significant is my struggle against the effects of poverty going to be. We think in terms of the pressure our struggle against the effects of poverty minimized. There are many effects from poverty that most people don't think about, most people don't give two thoughts about. And only when you are experiencing poverty, when you are experiencing the constant anxiety over losing 
the little bit that you have. The constant negative stress that accumulates from existing, not living. There's a difference between living and existing. Existing every day in a state that sort of maybe might bring you joy. When Chris Hedges talks about the illnesses, the diseases of despair, which I wish he would come over and talk with some black folks about that instead of finding solace with the center-right because as much as I respect him, Chris Hedges does not understand wokeism, which is a black concept. You might want to talk to some black people and not just Cornell West. He does not understand what we are seeking to accomplish with, quote, identity politics, which white folks have been using identity um, as a political forum for a long time. And I would beg him to maybe look up a Jared Ball, to maybe look up a Jackie Lukeman, to maybe look up a Dr. Obadishaka, but to talk with people outside of the folks that he's comfortable with. Because for everything that he is talking about, when it comes to illnesses of despair, black folks know about that. We've been living with that despair for far longer and with far greater consequence than a lot of white people have. And the reason I say that isn't because I downplay the struggle that white people have been going through. I say it because while well, white folks could rely on their whiteness as kind of a buffer, it stopped them from feeling true despair. You know, they could always say, I may be low down to the ground and crushed down, but I'm never going to be a net. So I would beg him to come and talk with some people who actually can explain the goals of um, identity politics and what have you, but that's what it is, I suppose. When we look at wages, most companies don't only figure to pay you as little as possible. Most companies have a have it set in policy that they want to pay you so little that you have to come to them. You can't go anywhere else. You have to be there. They don't want you living. They want you existing. Because as long as they have you existing, then you're afraid you don't want to lose your job. But not only do you not want to lose your job, you allow people to treat you like garbage to remain on staff. This is why my hat tips to this newer generation. They ain't having it. They're not. 
And I really am proud of them for that. Because they looked at me and my generation and said, "We y'all ain't even happy. Y'all ain't even close to happy. And yet you keep telling us without any kind of passion in your voice that we need to accept all this. Nope, we ain't doing it. Nope, we ain't doing it. Sorry if it hurts your feelings, but we ain't going to follow in your footsteps. You crazy. Capitalism, contrary to what a lot of right-wingers and libertarians and conservatives and brain-damaged people say, and you pick which one of those you are. So it's funny to see who gets mad once when I give that list. And which ones they get pissed off about. Capitalism is an unnatural system. It is held in place by power and fear. And the power is arbitrary. In fact, it's worse than arbitrary. It's nonsensical. It only makes sense when you think about what capitalism seeks to aim. Well, it seeks to aim. <laughs> Aims and seeks to create. What capitalism seeks to create is an oligarchic class. Now, I, I need to adjust what I'm saying. Because in oligarchy, the oligarchs are not a class. They look at themselves somewhat as a caste. But that's a European concept. Because we live in the age of both ethnic, what the Europeans might call ethnic or, or, or heretical um, racism, and financial economic classism, we have to keep in mind that race is a caste and economy is a class. So that's why I say oligarchic class. Capitalism seeks to create an oligarchic class. And from that class position, the oligarchs use capitalism. The key word in capitalism is capital. They use capitalism to funnel more money up towards themselves. They look at themselves as a group of kings. They see their position as royalty. They look at the people who cater to them as nobility. And they look at the middle class as the buffer between them and the, and the masses. There has always been in European society an upper class, a middle class, a lower class. Always. 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 
and it's always taken on various level, levels of these characteristics that we see today. But the dynamics, their dynamics in society has always been the same. The upper class is protected by the middle class against the lower class, who is being royally screwed and pressed to push all that they earn and then some upwards. I remember the first time I listened to Naomi Klein's shock doctrine. I remember. And I said, oh, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Now, this was back in 2008. It was in 2009, I believe, that I experienced what I considered my first experience with what she was talking about in her book. When I experienced this idea that paying for my electric bill should come with a service fee. Paying my, um, well at the time it was just my electric bill, should come with a service fee. And then I watched over the next couple of years as the, in my little community, which was sinking deeper into poverty, as the places that you used to be able to go to pay your electric bill without a service fee, closed, shut down, dwindled. And I believe now there's one or two places um, between my co the community that I grew up in and the next door community. And I think now you do have to pay a service fee. I then remember, because I didn't get a cell phone until 2012, and it was only when my girlfriend at the time was like, uh, nah, you need a cell phone. Get a cell phone. So I got one. Um, and, I, and I was paying for it, and I was like, wait a minute. Why am I, why, why am, you know, the cost of, of my plan is this, but I'm paying all of these fees. Why? And then, whereas paying for my electric bill on, due to telephone, was free before, now here's another service charge. And then, when I was paying for my college loans, Oh, here's another service charge for, um, you know, paying for online. It was then that I started seeing what she was talking about in her book, Shock Doctrine. As I walked down the street, I saw the traditional um, meters being replaced by other ones. 
And then as I looked into it, it's like, oh, this this company got this 50-year, 90-year contract to be able to put meters downtown. And they're making money off of it. And people are complaining all around me. Oh, man, it costs an arm and a leg now. to. And I didn't live in a big town. I lived in a small town. So if you upped the cost of the meter by, eight, by you know, 50 or 75 cents, that was significant because the prices, the wages in the community were very heavily fixed. And yet it was happening. And people were complaining about it. And I remember at first, I, I you know, I, I'd love to say that I got it immediately. It wasn't until really 2010 that I started seeing and understanding what was happening. When I think not ours in the community that I grew up in, but the next door community, their water treatment plant, I think, was purchased. I'm not sure if it was purchased back because immediately people saw problems with their water. Horrible problems with their water. Not Flint-level problems, but significant enough where people were complaining. And at first, um, because, so there was a reservoir that a, a number of the municipalities had been using for over a century. Over a century. The water was decently good. Um, even when it dried up a little bit, there was still significant water in it, so they were fine. But when their, the next door community was purchased by um, a company, they decided to switch to another place. And the water was terrible. And I do know from friends that I've talked to since, uh, I'm moving away, that they switched back to the original reservoir, but I can't remember if they, if the same company owns the, um, uh, the plant, or did it actually get sold back? We are, look, ladies and gentlemen, we're living in an age where these oligarchs are creating green zones and red zones. And they have no interest in the rest of society. Now, you can keep telling me that, oh, it's a radical left, that they're, they're doing everything. You point to me an oligarch who's a radical left, and I'll believe you. You point to an oligarch, and don't just give me, don't just give me um, George Soros, George Soros, George Soros. George Soros is an investor. And if you look at his holdings, which you can because he publishes all that stuff online, compared to somebody like the Koch brothers, who are libertarian, conservative people, George Soros is nothing. George Soros has like one or two institutions that he has funded, and arguably, they're not left-wing institutions. They are centrist, and sometimes when they work overseas, they are right-wing. But the Koch brothers? The Melon Skates? Oh, you are looking at people 
You are looking at people who are not only right-wing, not only libertarian, not only conservative, but they are die-hard imperial colonialists. And they have built not one, not two, not three, but altogether they have built dozens of institutions and foundations and associations and groups. You can point to one person who you say is in charge of all this left-wing stuff, and then obviously, you know, you, you get near the white conspiracy theorists and, oh, the Rothschilds. You fools are foolish. You fools are foolish. You know how you know that the Rothschilds ain't really doing all that stuff? Because you know about them. You know about them. When I mention the Mellon Skates, most of you ain't got no clue who they are. None of you. None of you. When I said that the groups like you talk about Betsy DuBois, most of y'all ain't got no idea who Betsy DuBois is, right? Oh, that, so she was a punchline on Saturday Night Live. She was in the Trump administration. Yeah, but who else was she? You ain't got no idea. You ain't got no idea, but you swear you smarter. The Rothschilds. The Rothschilds are in charge of everything, according to you, except nothing. Oh, well, they got so much money that they can't count it. Seriously? Okay, so now, now, you are relying on a notion that was in vogue back in the late 1800s, which was that there was such old money, there was these lords and lordesses that had, uh, lords and ladies who had so much money that, it, and it was so old that nobody even cared to count it anymore. It just was a reality. These people were rich. Here's where your mind fails you. Because you love capitalism so much, you don't really study capitalism. Which is interesting that you love something that you don't study. But because you don't study it, you do not know that in the post-American Civil War years, when America was really on the upswing with its economic activity, those folks in Europe who were considered lords and ladies and had so much money that, you know, it was uncalculated. Those people looked at a lot of folks in the, the quote, new world to them who had money as foolish because they weren't polished. Their culture was so degraded. But moreover, in the new age, when, yeah, contrary to popular beliefs, people do try to calculate the wealth of some of these people who for centuries have been told are so wealthy you can't count it. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? You can actually count their wealth. And when you put it next to some of the wealth that is generated today, these people ain't all that wealthy. They're not all that wealthy. It's These people may have one or two billion dollars, but that's amassed over a thousand years or so. Now, you may say, well, one or two billion dollars, I wish I had it. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. I wish I had it. 
But look at Elon Musk has lost over fifty billion dollars with his gamble on TikTok. Uh, not on TikTok, on Twitter. What is somebody who amassed two billion dollars over a thousand years? That means they amassed two million dollars a year, which is good money. But it took him a thousand years to get two billion, where it took Elon Musk ten years to get five times that or twenty times that or whatever. The problem with conspiracy theories, and I know this isn't about conspiracy theories, but the real problem with conspiracy theories is they are so non-rooted in reality because the people who are propagating them have no interest in reality. That the people who do have an interest in reality can't, can't stomach it because it doesn't fly with even the most basic understanding. Of what reality is. Now look. Yes. I know. I told it to you before. The CIA was the ones who propagated the idea of conspiracy theories. I get it. Ooh. I get it. But they did so to slander people. Who are bringing up real inconsistencies. In the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Again, historical context. A person like May Brussel, rest in peace, who spoke about conspiracy researching, did so from a standpoint that conspiracies were real, that they were provable, and that in order to uncover them, you had to use investigative journalism standards that had been well-developed by journalist pioneers such as I.F. Stone over the last, and, and one of my favorites, Upton Sinclair, uh, and there were many more, including Mother Jones, over the last hundred plus years. A lot of folks who talk about conspiracy theories today, they are not interested in investigative uh, journalism standards. They are not interested in proving that they are that that these things are true by doing the research necessary to prove that they are true. And when there are real conspiracies that are in front of their faces, because conspiracy only means that it's hidden, they don't want. To investigate those things because typically uh, the conspiracies that happen in capitalism do not shine a positive light on capitalism. This episode, though, is not really, or at least it didn't start off about conspiracy theories. But I do want to kind of go a little bit further into this because when thinking about poverty... In thinking about what must occur to not only make poverty a reality in the modern age, but to keep poverty as a main reality in the modern age, one cannot help but to say that there is a mass conspiracy. And in this way, I get why some of the... Um, right wing would want to suddenly go down that road of, oh, well, there's a conspiracy, there's a conspiracy. 
the thing is, the wealthy know there's a conspiracy. They know it because they they have contributed to this conspiracy over the last 50 years. But they don't want you to know what that conspiracy is. I once asked a question to a friend who was really getting deep into the right-wing echo chamber. I asked him, why are all of these big conglomerates spending money on media outlets that typically lose money? This was way back in the early 2000s when Fox News was technically just starting to turn a profit and MSNBC was not. And he was like, nah. And I go, because the media serves a purpose for these big corporations. They want you watching the media because you'll get their propaganda. Now, not all of it's bad, but they're spending the money to ensure that it slants a certain way. So they're less likely to tell you the truth. And that's just a fact. Where right-wingers go wrong is that the conspiracies that they want to believe are fanciful. They rarely impact real life. Whereas the true conspiracies may not be sexy, but impact real life. I was recently just talking to a guy who was telling me about all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories, and I kind of got sick of them. And I said, I want, to give you an, I, want, I want to give you a name. And I want you to tell me if you've heard any conspiracies associated with it. And he happily, you know, perked up. Okay, yeah, I bet you I know. I bet you I know. I bet you I know. Alec. His smile kind of went away. No, I've never heard that one. What is it? And I said, it's funny. Because you're going on to all these message boards that are supposedly telling you the truth. And you've never heard of Alec. Now, what is it? Have you, heard, have you ever heard of NAM? N-A-M. No? What are they? Huh. You've never heard of the National Association of Manufacturers? No. Should I have? Well, you're talking about conspiracies. Let's talk about real conspiracies. Alec is writing legislation that is being passed in dozens of states. What? What? Really? Yeah, really. Alec, they've been doing this for like 20 plus years. W wait, what is it? Alec. A-L-E-C. And they've been doing what? They have been writing legislation passing it off to state houses legislatures often controlled but not always controlled by a certain party but always controlled by people who lean in their corporatist direction for them to pass it they have gotten literally hundreds of bills passed in the United States Bills that do what? You name it, if it's against the public good, they've done it. 
Really? Yeah, really. But you don't know who they are. And what, wait, what, what was the other one you put, you, you said? NAM, National Association of Manufacturers. You should really look them up. Because the last time when there was an attempt to take over the government by a fascist, by, by a fascist dictatorship, um, NAM was right in the middle of it. I'm not saying that's what they're doing today, but NAM has a reputation to uphold. And that reputation is of being very, very conservative right wing. And then that's when the blinders came on. Oh, I get it. This, is, this isn't really about conspiracy. This is about politics. And I kind of hung my head. <laughs> I said, my man, you just spent, you just spent the last, like, 20 minutes telling me about how Bill Clinton is horrible because he was seen in Jesse, in, um, I'm sorry, in Epstein's plane and on his, on his island. You said nothing about Donald Trump. You said nothing about Bush Sr. You, did, you said nothing about the suspected dozens of other people, some of them Democrats, some of them Republicans, who were also given trips to Epstein's island. So, when you talk about politics, it only is, it, it's only political when I'm talking about something that may affect something that you believe in. That's when it turns into politics. Outside of that, it ain't politics. When you talk and junk about Bill Clinton, and I ain't even defending Bill Clinton, it ain't politics. But if I start talking trash about Donald Trump, I'm being political. The reality is, I told him, the reality is, most conspiracies are political. And it's not the way that you think of them. Oh yeah? How do you mean? He was defensive. Now, go. you think of political as left and right. You think of it as Democrat-Republican. You know how the wealthy think of politics? No, but I bet you're going to tell me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Because you don't know. Because you're not engaged in trying to actually see what they're doing. They look at politics as economic. They look at politics as racial. As caste in class. But for you, my white friend, they look at it dynamically as economic. You are politically different than them. Point blank period. They don't consider you even as your rugged conservative individualist, corporatist, you know, supporting self waves the flag as fast as you can. They don't look at you up as being on their side. They look at you as being a threat to their side. And so therefore, they want policies implemented that limit your ability to threaten them. And how do you know that? I know that, I said, because unlike you, I don't get to close my eyes and say the world isn't the way that it is. The world is going to impede on me whether I want it to or not. I know that because my parents knew it 
and they had to teach me about it. There's something that kind of happens to you that's different, I told them. When you got to leave the house and you have to watch every step that you take because people might interpret it wrong. When you get pulled over or stopped or even looked at by a cop and you have to calculate 50 steps ahead of what you're going to do because you don't want it to go south and yourself to end up on the evening news as being shot by the cops. You start to see the patterns that create that type of an atmosphere. The blinders really came on after I started talking about police officers. Because then it was, oh, now here we go. Why does everything have to be about race? I go, see, you missed the whole point of what I'm saying. These people have so gotten into your head that the moment that I bring up anything that sounds a little bit like race, your mind clouds over because... I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. These people who are making more money in a week than you make in a year. You believe them more than me because they look like you. Oh, there's black conservatives that I listen to. Name one. Thomas Sowell. You don't listen to Thomas so well. You see him on Fox News and interviewed on some of these other channels that you check out. Name an actual black conservative whose show you listen to regularly. Uh, I thought so. I know more black conservative names than you do. But I ain't telling you because you ain't using them in the future. We near, we parted ways soon after that. I gave him the actual name of Alec and what have you and told him to look it up, but he wasn't going to look it up. He wasn't going to look it up. Poverty takes effort to maintain, y'all. The conspiracy to maintain poverty in this country is deep. When people, and I've, I've said this to folks that I know who are right-wing before, when they talk about the deep state, they don't actually know what they're talking about. Because the deep state is real. The deep state is real. But it's not what they think it is. So on one level, the most, the most notable way to talk or to, to view the deep state is um, it is where government and corporation bind, bind together. It is where the associations, the civic associations, government and corporations, the fraternities, sororities, and all of that all bind together. That is the deep state. That is the deep state. It's the best way to look at it is to think of, um, and oh my God, I'm blinking on it right now. I'm blinking on it right now. I'm blinking on it right now. Oh man. Um, that part of your computer program. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now. That is at the bottom of everything. And, like, you change one little thing down there, it, it could have a huge impact on the rest of your computer. That is the deep state. That's the deep state. Most folks think they understand the deep state. They don't. You're talking about a web of influencers, of doorways, of pathways, of... Of, of networks 
that most folks don't understand and they won't understand because they ain't going to do the work that somebody like Mae Brussel did where she actually went out and she plotted on paper these networks. So you, you want to understand the deep state, that's what you have to do. You have to plot out the networks. You have to go name by name, organization by organization, network by network, and you have to plot out the names or else you're never going to understand the deep state. And most, corp, most conservatives, corporate conservatives, are never going to do that because it's not in their interest to. It would reveal too much about capitalism, tons about capitalism. I'll never forget, I watched a video years ago when, you know, YouTube was first becoming a big thing back in like 2007 of this, this woman who was, um, I'm sorry, this man who was filming across from this very exclusive um, get-together. Someplace, I don't even think it was in New York City, I think it was, um, in an, it was in another city that was unusual though. Um, and one of the security details came over and said, listen, you can't, you can't be filming here. And he was like, I'm on a public sidewalk. I can film whatever I want. No, you can't. You cannot point a camera at the gathering that's taking place over there and film the guests who are coming in and out of that place. And he goes, I am well within my rights to do all this. We will, uh, I'll call the police and they will arrest you. And he do my do your thing. And the police showed up and they threatened, we will arrest you. And they were aggressive and they were hostile. And finally he gave way and stopped recording. But what that revealed to me is that again, conspiracies are real. And these people didn't want their their names involved in whatever they were doing, whatever they were setting up, they didn't want a record being had publicly about what they were doing. And look, this is not new. If you go back to the late 1800s, I keep saying, you know, I, I said it earlier, about the investigative um, rules, the norms, the structures, the investigative journalism back then utilized. This was something that a lot of investigative journalists cut, to, cut their teeth on doing, was developing the Rolodexes that said these are the people in these networks and what they do, where they're meeting, and why we suspect they are meeting. For a lot of white folks, especially those down in poverty, and look, the difference between me and a lot of other people talking about this family is I'm here. Forty years old, still experiencing it. But a lot of white folks who are in poverty, they don't want to entertain the real conspiracies that have impacted their life negatively because if they entertain it <clears throat> as one of my friends told me 
a woman who is middle class as can be, when I say middle class, I technically mean a little bit upper class, between her and her husband, they probably make 300 a year. And, and, and that's not even counting what they're putting away in their, in their 401ks. They probably make 300 a year. And that's 300K for those of you who don't know. What she told me was simply this. If you were right, B, and white people realize that you were right, they're going to realize that they've been duped. But not just now, but they've been duped for a very long time. And if they've been duped for a very long time, that means their parents were duped. And their grandparents were duped. And their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents. And how far back does it go? Do you know the type of shame that you're unleashing if you're right with a lot of these people? You're talking about, and I've done an episode sort of based on on this conversation we had seven years ago. Holy wow. Um, you're talking about shame that can go back four or 5,000 years and probably even into the last ice age. And I kind of chuckled at the time because I didn't get what she was trying to say. But she was right. Oh, was she right? You're talking about an embarrassment and shame that is old. Or should I say the, un- the, the, the ability to unrecognize this embarrassment of, and shame of being wrong. It's old. And for a lot of these people, it's ancient. It goes back thousands of years. And she, she, was, she was right. So I understand it. But the question that, I am, that I'm increasingly finding myself asked. Or, or should I say, a question that I am increasingly asking myself is, what is the consequences of this? Is this going to destroy, is this really going to destroy human civilization? The inability to accept the conspiracies that are happening, especially the ones that are creating poverty. Is this going to destroy what civilization we have? And if it's going to destroy it, then what's going to be left over? Because look, the despair is encouraging a lot of white people towards destruction. And when you encourage the people with the most to lose... To destroy themselves. That motivates the elite. Who don't understand. Culture doesn't flow. Down. You can only impose culture. When you go down. Word. From the elite down. Culture flows upward. And frankly. I don't even think for many Europeans in America. That it flows upward. I just think it is what it is. But when the mass of the people don't have anything to lose and they don't see any constructive way to get out of that mindset except to keep doing what they've been doing, sooner or later the elite are going to make a mistake that devastates the society. 
or the masses of white people will make a huge mistake that devastates society. And here I am referring to what I was talking about a couple of years ago when it comes to Caesar. I didn't know at the time that there was this book called The Coming Caesars. An almost laughable concept that poses, uh, that puts Barack Obama as the new Julius Caesar. When in fact, if you really wanted to talk about the coming Caesar, you would have started with Ronald Reagan and then moved forward from there. That is it for today. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach out to me. And by the way, I will say I have not read the book, The Coming Caesars, but I do just find it hilarious that, like, you know, I'm looking at the 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 cover of The Coming Caesars, right? <clears throat> Starts with JFK who looks kind of somber, uh, then goes to LBJ, who has the whole Mr. Byrne tinted hands and stuff, and then it has um, Tricky Dick, I'm Not a Crook, with his hands out, uh, Richard Nixon, and then Gerald Ford with a, with a smirk on his face, Jimmy Carter kind of looking off, smiling and laughing, and then the good old noble Ronald Reagan, with that, with the chin upward and that, that regal look that everybody always gives to him. And then they show Bush 1, who had his hands in tons of coups to overturn Democratic elections all over the world, kind of looking the same way. And then they have funny Mr. Clinton, who looks like a, a madman. And then Bush, who kind of looks like an idiot, placing the reef onto the head of Barack Obama, who looks like a dictator, Julius Caesar style. I mean, it is, it's laughable. I mean, it, it's, the only people who could think that Barack Obama, a moderate was Julius Caesar, was a people who were diabolically ashamed of a black man leading their empire. The only people who could think that he was a dictator was a people diabolically unsure of what the word dictator actually meant in context of empire. One of the reasons why I like to... Like to you know, read stuff and listen to stuff about about Rome. Because there's a contextualization that takes place when I look at Rome. When it comes to the structures of the present. Europe doesn't really create much new. They just take what worked previously and update it. You have to be delusional. To believe that Barack Obama was a dictator. 
And to not see that given his history, the dictator was hidden by George W. Bush. I mean, it was almost it was almost a laughable thing back, you know, in the early two uh, thousands. Everybody knew Dick Cheney was actually running the show, and of course, this book came out before Donald Trump. But looking at some of the people who are running for president on the Republican side, none of these people want anything but authoritarian power. There may be one or two that kind of, but they have long since chased moderates out of their, out of their party. This is why when you, when, you, when you approach conspiracies, you have to approach them factually. Because the only way that coming Caesars with Barack Obama as the head makes sense is if there is some primary major conspiracy. And trust me when I tell you, there are some questions about Mr. Barack Obama. That ban- that 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 borders significance conspiracy. I'm looking at John Pilger, who looked at a company that he hid in his memoirs. Doctor, uh, I'm sorry, not doctor, but um, Barack Obama hid in his memoirs that Pilger found out and found out that that corporation was a CIA asset. There are questions there. But nobody in their right mind expected Barack Obama to win in 2008. Even though I suspect he was used as a buffer against Hillary Clinton. Nobody expected him to win. I don't even think he expected to win. There is a conspiracy to create coming Caesars. There's a lot of people running from it. I just I just produced um, the first part of what I think is going to be two parts, where I was reading from this um, this uh, this article on regulation. And I was talking about how the author of this article, and I know I said I was going to be done, right? <laughs> I'm still going. Um, I was talking about how the author in this article was um, how he had connections to all of these right-wing think tanks and what have you. The, the conspiracy to create coming Caesars, and by the way, I'm, I'm less confident that they want to create Caesars and they just want to create emperors isn't on the left. It's on the right. It's in the fascism that was that was <clears throat> prevalent in the United States back in the 1800s. That fascism which benefited corporations and capitalism. 
it's in the reproduction, a desire to reproduce that fascism from the 1800s, which wasn't called fascism. That's where you find the desire to create emperors in the United States. I am done now. Questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me. Support the work that I am doing. CWB Podcast. CWB Podcast. You can cash app it, throw a dollar sign in front of it. CWB Podcast. Or you can hit me up on PayPal. Support the work that I am doing. Two, five, ten. 20 or 50, whatever you can can toss in every month, y'all. Help me keep this thing rolling, huh? I enjoy doing this. And I'd like to be able to... I'd like to have this the first year where I actually publish just about every week. Um, I want to publish over 50 of these this year. Uh, so, help me out. Help me out, help me out, help me out. Um... So, I I referenced quickly, I'll do this quick, I referenced a multi-parter that I'm recording where I'm reading an article. This is actually something that I'm going to get into, reading articles and talking about them, breaking some of them down. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to do it, but at least I want to do once a month, because... There are great articles that need to be read to the record, and there are articles that need to be challenged. And right now I'm in the let's read articles to challenge them mood. All right? <sighs> Questions, comments, concerns, you can always reach out to me. I'm your brother, Brian Meredith. Till the next one, y'all. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the to the wars that I fought in places where their business interest runs. On the radio talk shows and the TV, you hear one thing again and again. How the USA stands for freedom, and we come to the aid of a friend. But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments are killing their own, or the people who finally can't. And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone